Hello, producer Carl here from Cheap Smut, and thank you for joining us on this, the first trip into the Smutco Industries vault, where, our, where we are revisiting some of our favorite episodes from season one of Cheap Smut. And what better place to start than with the very first episode, the place where it all began, Catherine Moon's A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor. And you're going to hear that the show a year ago has functionally been the same for the last year. It's kind of a hard format to screw up, really. Um, but the one thing that you will notice is that this is definitely one of our longer episodes. It clocks in at over 90 minutes. Um, but we were just so excited to start sharing this with everybody and get this thing out into the world and get as much information to the listener as as we possibly could. And we very quickly realized between the length of this first episode uh, and the fact that some of our subsequent episodes were two-parters and even a three-parter uh, with Opal Rain's A Soul to Keep, that maybe we should start scaling it back and uh, maybe focusing on novellas uh, or at least, you know, one, you know, three novellas a month and one big book a month for Kate uh, seemed like a better workflow. So this episode might sound a little odd uh, in retrospect because it is a bit longer, uh, but all of the... Uh, the cheap smut uh, earmarks are already there and uh, more or less fully formed. So uh, thank you for joining us on this journey. You might have already heard this episode. The The primary function of this was to sort of look back and celebrate the first year of something that uh, we've had a blast making uh, and also maybe push some of our favorite episodes closer to the top of the feed uh, for some of the listeners who might be new to the community. So with that, uh, thank you so much for joining us and enjoy episode one of Cheap Smut, A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor. Hello and welcome to Cheap Smut. I am Katie Mizell. And I am Carl Mizell. And this is a podcast about my two favorite things, reading erotic romance novels and talking to my husband. It's a, it's a pretty sweet podcast. You're going to love it. You are. Uh, but we do want to make you aware that this is going to contain a lot of cursing, adult themes, and dirty talk. Please listen accordingly. You have been warned. And with that, enjoy the episode. Hello. How are you today? I'm so great. Yeah. I, I, we've, I can't believe this is real. Because we've been talking about doing it for a week since we recorded the trailer slash yeah. episode. We recorded episode zero and yeah. now it's finally. <laughs> and we had to wait a day because normally we record on Fridays. Right. But today's a special occasion because our children are with their grandparents. So we waited. Yeah, they are. They are. And I was in Detroit for for work and you were staying with your parents. But then you left the kids there. Yep. <laughs> Abandoned our children with their grandparents <laughs> and so now we are sitting in our our lovely den and we are recording episode one of cheap smut and how i am i am thrilled as am i i'm very excited to get started as am i are we starting over because <laughs> i'm i'm excited as am i i'm, I'm excited. excited as, as am, am I. I yeah okay we'll cut this no no we're not it's fine now <laughs> it's all going to tape Excellent. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. So welcome to episode one of Cheap Smut. If you listen to episode zero and you're here uh, as a result of episode zero, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We've seen that some people are listening 
via the analytics, and that is extremely exciting. Absolutely, it is. So this one's going to be a bit longer. We're going to try. It's going to be longer than 18 minutes because this is a full episode. We're going to try. We're going to see how this goes. We haven't really decided how long we want our episodes to be. We want them to be as long as they need to be, but we also don't want to bore you. So this could potentially turn into a two-part episode the next episode will definitely be definitely be a two-part episode we've already yes discussed that yeah. off pod um but yeah so with that let's just let's just quit mucking around let's get right to it let's get to a lady of rooksgrave manor by Catherine moon is that correct that's correct all lady right rooksgrave manor i do want to say just one thing before we get started I wanted to make it very clear, since I didn't really talk about it last week, I'm not reviewing these books. Mm. Yes. I'm not going to give you any sort of editorializing on plot, structure, characters, writing, nothing analytical. If you want my review, my review of every book that I am ever going to talk about on this podcast is 10 out of 10. Please go buy it. Mm-hmm. Just so we're clear. That's all I wanted to say. No. Excellent. All right. I just want to adjust your levels a little bit. You're a little quiet there. I'm I'm more quiet in general. But yeah. um, all right. So let's begin. A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor by Catherine Moon. It is available on the Kindle store for $4.99. It is included with Kindle Unlimited if you have that. It is included with Kindle Unlimited. Most of the books I read are included with Kindle Unlimited, mm-hmm. but I'm not here to sell you Kindle Unlimited. So we're not going to talk about the KU. Yeah, they, they don't need your help. They don't. Jeff Bezos does not need any more money. No, but that is just the easiest way for you to consume the books that you like to consume as cheaply as possible. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to read every single book that we're going to talk about in a month on a weekly format, it will ultimately be cheaper to do KU. Mm -hmm. But I think it actually gives the authors more money to buy their book in full. So I am going to encourage people to buy the books in full. Of course. Yes. So. A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor is set in a pseudo-Victorian time period, so it's corsets and chariots, Mm -hmm. or or corsets and, what do you call those things that are pulled by horses? Chariot? It's not a chariot. Uh, Well, well, I mean, it's a horse-drawn carriage. Carriage, yeah. Yeah. So it's corsets and 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 carriages. (laughs) It's corsets and carriages all the way on this one, so there's no telephones, internet. It's not real Victorian England. It's not real anything. Yeah. But I just wanted to give you a sense of the time frame. But there's nothing wildly anachronistic. Oh, no. Okay. No. I mean, <laughs> it's not like anybody's going to bust out Star Trek technology. Okay. They are, there are monsters and magic, but it's all relevant to the time period. Mm. Oh, content warning. Content warning, yes. Okay, content warning for A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor. Um, uh, attempted sexual assault, threats, and discussions of rape. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you said uh, you said in episode zero, unexpected partners, unexpected partners. And we will get to that okay? because within the context of the book, it is fun. OK. And it's something Esther enjoys. But at, at one point, there is a man in her room who has never been been there before and is unexpectedly there. OK. That could be very frightening. Mm. I understand that. So yeah. I just want to put that out there for All you. All right. All right. So to begin, I want to introduce our heroine. Her name is Esther Reed. And uh, I want to show you the cover art for this book. Mm. Does she look like another Esther, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she does. She does. If if you're not familiar, uh, go go read the magnificent comic book, uh, Giant Days. 
by John Allison, and uh, John Allison handled the all the writing and most of the art until Max Saren took over. Yep, uh, they took over, and in the t- the look uh, of that is basically the work of Max Saren. But there is a character in there, a uh, the the tragically gorgeous goth Esther De Groot. Yes, and uh, it looks like Esther Reed falls right into that mold as well. Yeah, I often wonder if authors. Uh, other authors are like me because like when I write I need a visual inspiration for our characters to know what they look like and, and mm. kind of picture their expressions and things like that and it looks like she's straight just snatched some of Esther DeGroote right off of the page and and created her own Esther. Lots there's of DeGroote n- on her Pinterest boards. Yeah there's nothing else about this woman that is anything like Esther DeGroote don't get me wrong she didn't steal a character mm. <laughs> but no. Um, and that, that it looks like she took some inspo. Yeah that's and that's on our that's on our Instagram if you want to take a look at that. Yeah yeah um, so this is Esther. She is our heroine. At the beginning of this book, Esther is an orphan. Her parents are dead. She lived with her aunt until she was old enough to go into the service. Um, and in Victorian England, going into the service meant becoming a live-in housemaid. Mm-hmm. So she has been a housemaid since she's 14 years old. But she keeps losing jobs. And the reason she keeps losing jobs is because Esther is tragically horny. <laughs> she's afflicted she's afflicted she has inclinations as they say on the back of the book um she's just she just likes to have sex but because she's an unmarried woman in victorian england that is a no no yeah um so when we meet her in the uh prologue of this book esther is standing outside of her mistress's door the woman she works for and she is listening quietly as a delightfully buzzing machine helps her mistress overcome hysteria what could that have been what could that have been i do wonder and so she's ruffling up inside of her skirts she's going to town on herself in the hallway (gasps) having a hall diddle yeah straight up hall diddle the best diddles happen in liminal spaces (laughs) exactly Uh, and she's about halfway through that when the door opens and she sees Dr. Jonathan. Yeah, Dr. Jonathan Underwood. Okay. Dr. Jonathan Underwood treats hysteria. That's his job. Oh, I bet he does. Yeah. Uh, and he does it with this magnificent machine that he invented himself. I bet he did. Yeah. And he is immediately taken by Esther. Maybe because she's halfway to orgasm. I don't know. <laughs> if If my first encounter with you had been that... Yeah, I I mean, I was pretty taken with you to begin with, but I would have been especially taken with yeah. you because Hall Diddle. Hall Diddle. So he, gre- he greets her very politely, um, if not a little awkwardly, because he is a true Victorian gentleman. He is a he is a uh, a, a sweet, gentle soul who blushes high on his cheeks and then leaves. And that's that's our prologue, which leads directly into chapter one. Esther's losing her job again. <laughs> Was but it because of the no, hall? No, it wasn't. But this time it's not because of the sex. It's because her employers are bankrupt. Oh, okay. And they're having a fire sale to get rid of all of their shit before they leave the house. And Dr. Underwood returns. Esther thinks that he has returned to sort of buy whatever he wants and meander around the detritus of a broken war, like a broken life. And but maybe pick up a housemaid of something. Cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but he comes up to Esther instead. He doesn't want anything to do with the shit that these people are selling. He wants to know if she would be interested in a job. And uh, she's like, yeah, absolutely. Also, what is that buzzing thing? <laughs> and he, I need to know. I do. I got to know, doc. What's the buzzing thing? 
So he take he invites her to come to his practice in Harley Street mm-hmm. so that they can talk in private. And when she gets there, he basically explains that he is the patron of a house called Rooksgrave Manor where he thinks she will thrive. It's a brothel. They don't really like ever say the word brothel, but it's it's a house where women live and men come to visit them to have sex with them and give them presents. And yeah, and sometimes they leave gifts and trinkets behind in exchange for the sex. And it's but it's we don't we don't like to do labels. Yeah. Well, it's sex work. It's honest work. Sex work is work, everyone. Yeah. And she's like, hell yeah, that sounds great. I think I would really enjoy doing that. Because the only, she says, throughout this entire book, Esther is kind of caught on this um, shame hook of thinking that the only thing she's good at is sex and she's depraved. And she's, in in this book, because it's Victorian England, she calls herself a wanton. A wanton woman. A wanton, uh, which uh, for anyone who's 16 years old, like I was the first time I heard that word, it's not a fried wanton wrapper. (laughs) It's not a wanton woman. (laughs) she's she's horny yeah she's horny i mean she's a wanton she might like chinese food she probably does it's delicious everyone likes chinese food but it (laughs) it doesn't make me horny yeah Uh, generally if it does to you that's cool too we're not shaming anyone if you're into chinese food like that that's fine we we do not kink shame uh but so she goes to see dr underwood and he offers her this job and she's like, yeah. So he says, OK, I'll hook you up with the the woman in charge there. In the meantime, please go take your clothes off behind this like changing screen thing that I have and come out, come back out here, kneel on the settee. That's a couch and face the wall. So she does. Mm. She wants to get right down to it, but he doesn't want her to see him. So she just does what he asks because she trusts him for some reason. Esther trusts every single person she meets in this book. <laughs> well, there's your problem. Immediately. But they it's in the end they sort of say that she has kind of a gift for knowing who is trustworthy. I guess it's almost kind of magic, but not really. She just she trusts him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing. (laughs) So she strips down naked and crawls up on her hands and knees on the settee. And he comes out with what is essentially described as like a Theragun. He's invented a Theragun. But for your... But for your clit. But for your clit. Yeah. Yeah. And she's fucking loving it. She is having the time of her life. I can imagine. Obviously. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) after a while, she's basically begging for it. She's like, fuck me immediately. You have to do this. And he does. But she looks over her shoulder while she's doing that. Not at him, but at his shadow. And his shadow is a looming, massive, sort of frightening, not at all silhouette of of the man that she has met these couple of times. And she's like, okay. But she doesn't know what it is. She thinks it's just the candlelight. She, they keep going. I was going to say, it's a weird flicker. Yeah, it's like a weird flicker of candle lamps or firelight or whatever. They keep going. And suddenly she starts to notice that the dick that's inside her is getting bigger. Bigger than a dick should be able to get. And, I hate when that happens. <laughs> and the hands around her hips are getting bigger. And the person behind her seems to be taking up more space. And he is growling and grunting in a way that does not sound like Dr. Underwood. And then he starts talking and is not Dr. Underwood's voice. Ladies and gentlemen, the first of our many monsters, Dr. Underwood is a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation but with horny but with horn no well not just with horny he's just two men inside of one body because i was like i can relate like 
I basically am a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but with horny. Yeah, but with horny. No, no. He's he he later in the book explains that he always knew that something was inside of him. He calls him Mr. Tanner. Mr. Tanner was always inside of him and through a series of medical experiments that he never fully explains because that's not what this book is about. He coaxes Mr. Tanner out and they have a sort of begrudgingly respectful relationship where they share a body. But when Mr. Tanner is out, he doesn't look like Dr. Underwood. No, I should hope not. He's massive and frightening Mm. and unkillable. He's kind of like the Hulk, but Mm. not green. I don't know. But but less green and more horny. Yeah, less green, more horny. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the Hulk's super horny. I don't know. What the fuck do I know? I I've never I've never given he consideration. He has a son. He has to have had sex at least once. Yeah. Right? Okay. Hulk Ooh. smash. Hulk. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. So uh so the next day, Esther's Esther's been fucked proper by Mr. Tanner and she is sent by carriage Mm -hmm. to Rooksgrave Manor which is this big sprawling beautiful house in the English countryside where she meets the madam of the house her name is Magdalena and she is a witch and her job is to make sure that the girls are well taken care of and her her magic protects the house So people can't come onto the property, even though there is a village nearby. Mm -hmm. People can't come onto the property. And uh, anyone who's not supposed to be there simply will be turned away by the magic. Um, She also has a gift for pairing. So what she does is she she pairs the girls with gentlemen that they think that she that the magic tells her will work well with each girl. Okay, she's a lovely woman. And she explains sort of the rules of the house. The rules are fairly simple. Esther will live there full time, free room and board. She will get a paycheck. She does not have to do anything she doesn't want to do at any time. She it, Consent is like top of the list at Rooksgrave. And, um, does she get an employee discount? Why would she need one? Well, I mean, if she, if she wants to... You know, maybe get something from the gift shop. I don't know. I don't think there's a gift shop at Rooksgrave. I think they mostly just sell pussy. Well, the, okay. So what if she <laughs> wants some pussy? Well, then she can go to one of the many orgies they have there and just get it for free. Okay. Well, you're jumping ahead. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, wait. No, we did. We talked about no, we that. Did. We talked about orgies last week. We Monster mentioned that orgies. there would be more G's. More G's. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So... The other rules are fairly simple. You're allowed to go to town whenever you want. You're allowed to do whatever you want. The only thing you can't do is bring someone onto the property that is not allowed to be there. She is not confined to having sex with the men that she's paired with. She can do whatever she wants at any time. She can come and go Mm -hmm. as she pleases. And if she wants to leave, all she has to do is say so. Right. But those guys, end of the laneway, don't don't come come up up the property. property. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's see. I'm going to go to my notes here for just a second. Oh, uh, she goes, uh, Catherine goes into a lovely description of the house here. It's Victorian and lush and dark and everyone there has a lot of money. So, of course, it looks like everyone there is, everything there is really expensive. And the walls are all covered in art. And all of the art is paintings of women having incredible orgasms with dudes who are not human. (laughs) And they're all painted by women who live on the property because that's what they do with their days. Well, they just spend their time doing leisure activities. Im- imagine, imagine, dick's so good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint. Yeah. 
paint. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how you had to remember good dick in Victorian times. You just had to <laughs> really hold on to it and then just paint furiously. Paint furiously. <laughs> And this is where she first really begins to understand that this house is is in service to people who are not humans. There's paintings of men with horns and wings and scales. And these are, they call themselves monsters. Esther doesn't like that word. She refuses to call them monsters. They're good people. They just happen to not look like men. Um, but that's what, that's what Rook's Grave is here for. Mm-hmm. They never really explain why human women have to be yeah where are um, all the monster women there's there is at least one because they mention a a fairy okay a fae who is a woman she runs another another house there are several houses like this all over the world right Mm -hmm. but she uh she never they never really explain why it has to be human women my only my only guess can be it's usually the conceit in books like this is that there are very few monster women Okay. Um, for whatever reason, there's always some kind of conceit. But it doesn't matter. Everyone who's there is there willingly, and they're all having a good time. That's all that matters. Right? So when Esther is done with Magdalena, she is escorted to her rooms by her new butler. Her butler is named Booker, and Booker is a golem. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a golem is? I do. Yeah. So uh, a golem is, in traditional Jewish folklore, a man made of clay who is risen to l- to life by a rabbi by writing the name of God on their forehead, I think. Or the word of God, something like that on mm. their forehead. But uh, he's not made of clay. Booker is made of marble. He is a big marble man. Big <laughs> marble statue man. Okay. And he is assigned to help Esther. Pretty much right away, He because Esther shows an interest in him beyond just him being a servant who carries her bags around because she actually talks to him and wants to get to know him, he decides that he's going to be her personal butler. Oh. Like... Magdalena can get him to do other stuff if he needs to do other stuff, but he's going to be there for Esther all the time. Okay. That's his that's his life's mission okay. now. And he is a lovely, sweet, caring, very quiet, giant man made of marble. Yeah. All um, right. I'm in. Yeah. So there we have uh, our first three characters, Esther Reed, Jonathan Underwood slash Mr. Tanner, and Booker. And then the next morning. Uh, and Magdalena. Oh, and Magdalena. It's four. Magdalena. Yeah. Um, Esther settles in. She decides she wants to just hang out by herself for the night. She's overwhelmed. She's never had a bedroom as nice as the one that she has because she's not living in servants' quarters anymore. She has a full bedroom with an ensuite bathroom. Like, shit's, shit's real for Esther right now, and All she's right. very happy. But she's bored. Yeah. She doesn't have anything to do. So she decides to just sit and look out of her window, and what does she see? Padding up the walk. A wolf is coming out of the forest big fucking wolf and if i if if you've taught me anything in these first few minutes <laughs> i i already think i know what to expect yeah so this wolf is just loping across the grounds the beautiful grounds of rook's grave and esther notices that it's walking towards a woman who's laying in the grass and she tries to open the window to shout at her oh no there's a wolf coming run away before it eats you and then the wolf turns into a man and it eats her all right hey, i was gonna say <laughs> You shut up, Esther. Exactly. And <laughs> We're role playing. And now we have established Rook's Grave is a party house. There is fucking everywhere. Everywhere. All the time. That's what these men come here for. Yeah. They come here to get laid. And in exchange, they they pay handsomely. But 
the women there actually do like their men. It's well, not like they just do this for money. Yeah. Most of them. They actually enjoy themselves. Well, ideally, it's nice if you enjoy your work. Well, yeah. I mean, do what you love, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Although it, it, it sounds like this does end up being like some work. Yeah. Event, I, shit, there are points in this book where I was like, oh, God, take a nap, girl, take a yeah. nap. So Esther is now kind of understanding exactly what this house is all about. And she's here for it. I just imagine her. Going, oh, she's so here for it. In <laughs> fact, that she uh, touches herself while watching. Oh, here we go again. Yeah, the uh, the werewolf man. Fuck his lovely lady. Oh, yeah. I, and then she falls asleep. Well, yeah. <laughs> you watch a wolf fuck a human lady. And, oh, he's and while, a man. Oh, he's a man. Okay, so he's a man. So he's, a man. he's a man at yeah. that point. But he was a wolf. He was a wolf. So if I watched, if I watched somebody, if I watched a wolf turn into a man and then have sex with a woman while I diddled myself or jerked myself off, I would want to take a nap. Did you just turn on yeah. the PlayStation, the Dan? The cat just turned on the PlayStation. <laughs> Upped right on it. Oh my god, you little dick. That slim button. <laughs> and your big, dumb, clumsy paws. Love you so much, Danny boy. He also sneezed earlier. You probably heard a cat sneeze a few minutes yeah. ago. Anyway. Anyway, so moving on. We are at chapter three. All right, let's um, do it. Moving right along. This is going to be a long one. Okay, so Esther decides to take a walk on the grounds. She lays down in the grass to sun herself and she ends up falling asleep. And while she's sleeping, she dreams of a man. Uh, this man is named Eamon. And he has come to visit her in her dreams because he is also coming to visit her at the house. But he has so much power that he wants to see her right now. Eamon is a sphinx. He is from Egypt. He is described as being incredibly beautiful, almost godlike, because he is almost godlike. Yeah. He has magic powers. He can invade your dreams. He can um, prof he can see anything under the sun, is what he says, but it's sort of a gift of like prophecy a mm -hmm. little bit. And um, he is a hoity-toity bastard. <laughs> he's kind of an asshole when all of this starts, but he's a sweet man. And uh, in her dream, he tries to lay her out and eat her out. And she's like, okay, yes, please, uh, because this is Esther we're talking about. I was going to say, she doesn't seem like the kind to decline cunnilingus. No, never, not once. I don't think she ever says no. no. Um, but uh, she's woken up. She is woken up by a man from the, um, from the town. His name is Jacob Coombs, um, who just wants to talk to her. But he wants to talk to her in that way that, he, you know, dudes just want to talk to you. Yeah. He knows he knows what goes on in the house, but he's not allowed into the house. And that makes him very mad. So he instead decides to like sort of wander the edges and see if he can't find anybody from the property to talk to. Mm -hmm. He's quickly chased off by Booker, who escorts Esther back to the house because Esther is about to meet her first client. When I say client, these men pay to be here, mm -hmm. but there is a wait list. There's a wait list to get into Rook's grave. And her first client, August Thibodeau, has been on that wait list for 250 years <laughs> because he is a vampire. I don't even like waiting 15 minutes at a restaurant for a I table. I know. I know. Now, now that said, I would wait 250 years to sleep with you. Oh, babe, you're so sweet. You're welcome. You're so sweet. I would be dead by then, but it would be worth the wait. 
but I don't, I don't, I wouldn't because you'd be dead. Um, so Esther is given a present by Magdalena at the same time she is told that August is coming. This present is a lovely red dress that was uh, gifted to her by Dr. Underwood. There's a lot of fashion in this book. I'm not going to go into all of it, but the dresses that are described are fucking gorgeous. Yeah. So if that's what you're into, read A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor for the Victorian dress. Talking to you, Adam. I know you're listening, Adam. Hi, Adam. I love you. Anyway, so Esther meets August Thibodeau. He is hot. He is rich. He is undead. And he is French. And he calls for mon coeur. Basically, from the moment that they meet. That means my heart. Mm -hmm. Fellas, if you're listening to this, pet names. They work. It's true. Every girl loves a good pet name. Anyway, so when she meets August, he is covered in flour from head to toe. Why? Because before he died, he was a patissier and he is baking for her. Okay. And <laughs> I just think it's so charming because he is baking like a mountain. Like the entire table is covered with with sweets. And the reason is that he has, hasn't had to eat in 300 years. So he doesn't remember how much a normal portion is anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and imagine that this guy looks like Paul Hollywood. Oh, no, he doesn't. Well, that's this is no. This is okay, no, but here's here's. I just like the idea of Paul Hollywood as a three hundred year old vampire visiting a monster brothel covered yeah. in flour, covered in flour, right? Um, and then afterwards, he gives her a handshake, and she loses her mind. <laughs> um, you got a handshake? A handshake from August <laughs> Thibodeau. <laughs> Actually, I did. I did read. I think I told you this once. I read uh, uh, an erotic romance <laughs> novella where the uh, main male character was clearly Paul Hollywood. <laughs> clearly, like descriptions of brutal cerulean gazes and sharp cheekbones <laughs> and white hair. Brutal cerulean gazes. <laughs> what? <laughs> you gotta. You gotta get in on the description. This but, is why I could never write these kind of books. Because I would never in a million years think to write the phrase brutal cerulean gaze. That's a different book. Hostile azure glimpse. Glances. Glances? Glances. Glances. Yeah, I will, I'll read that one for you. I'll tell you about it sometime. Oh God, but please do. He was, that, that character was definitely based on Paul Hollywood. So... Esther meets August. August feeds her pastries. August drinks her blood. August fucks the shit out of her. Like you do. Like you do. Uh, <laughs> this note just says, chapter five. August takes Esther to bed, fingering cunnilingus riding, much biting, much blood, much orgasms. This chapter is just sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> chapter five. Just sex. Just sex. Uh, they go all night. August is impressed, uh, but he has to leave uh, the vampires who visit Rook's grave sleep in a special underground cavern uh, so that they can definitely not be burned by sunlight. If a, if a vampire has sex at sunset, is that morning sex for a vampire? Like if they have sex at like 6 yes. p.m. in December? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I guess. They just think of everything as reversed. Oh, well. Anyway. I guess. Um, so Esther spends uh, three days with August. He stays with her all three nights. Um, he has, And then he has to leave for business elsewhere. But um, he asks Esther if he would like to go 
to London or she would like to go to London with him sometime. And Mm -hmm. she's like, absolutely. Yes. While we're there, can we visit my friend, Dr. Underwood? And August knows Dr. Underwood. They're friends because Mr. Tanner has a particular skill of being able to sniff out the monsters or the um, abnormalities. Okay. Um, And so he found he found August at one point and they became friends. They are happy to be in each other's company. August doesn't care. So sure, if you want to see Jonathan while we're in town, you totally can. Yeah, why not? (laughs) And at this point, uh, let's see, I've written here, uh, Esther is, quote, sought after for being uniquely horny. (laughs) How horny do you have to be that you're uniquely, like, like, you got to check out this Esther girl. Yeah, no, I know. No, no, no. Trust me. She's uniquely horny. Yeah. Um, They're taking a walk outside. Booker is with them. Esther uh, expresses interest in Booker sexually. She has asked Magdalena if Booker can have sex or if Esther can have sex with Booker. Mm -hmm. And uh, Magdalena basically says, yeah, he has free will. He can do whatever he wants. So if you want to, for sure, but he's not your client. Um, But again, she has free will. She can do whatever she wants. She is not tied down to this house in any way. No real fraternizing rules. No no rules against fraternization (laughs) at Rook's Grave Manor. It sounds like it's almost actively encouraged. I think it is actively encouraged. The only thing they discourage is flirting with or sleeping with other girls' clients. Fair. Fair, right? Uh, For many reasons. And number one, of course, being, well, that's somebody else's work. That's you can't yeah. take a girl's job out for right no. out from under her. You got to sign literally. You're going to have to sign non-competes. <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to do that. But the other the other thing is that apparently a lot of these men are incredibly territorial. So you don't want to you don't want to cause a brawl. Men. Ter- First time hearing of this. Yeah. Right. Territorial. Territorial men. men. Never. Not once. No. Not not once in my life have I ever. They're so good at sharing. That's why this book is fiction. <laughs> So while they're out walking on the grounds, Esther uh, looks up in her window and she sees that her light is flickering on and off. And so August takes her back upstairs because they're concerned about something. There's no one there. But um, August says that he smells campfire. So someone has been in her room. Is it the wolf? It is not the wolf. Oh, okay. Uh, They just don't know who it is. Booker agrees to stay with Esther at all times to keep her safe because someone has been in her room without her knowledge. And they uh, go their separate ways. August goes back to town to attend whatever his vampire business is. I don't know. He's rich and 300 years old. He can do whatever he wants, I guess. Mm -hmm. Esther goes to see Magdalena the next day. And Mags says that she was going to set her up with her next gentleman caller. But the tarot cards are telling her to wait. And she's not sure why. So she tells her to just go back to her room. And when she gets there, uh, oh, sorry, while they're on their way there, she talks to Booker to get to know him. Mm -hmm. And Booker says that he can feel physically like he can feel the same as any man and he has emotions and things like that he's a full-fledged person he just happens to be made of stone okay um when she gets to her room she closes herself in and she immediately meets the person that was in her room the night before okay his name is ezra mckenna he is irish he's charming and he's fucking invisible ezra mckenna the invisible man here we go. <laughs> he is lovely, and he calls her he calls her Pusheen, mm-hmm. which I didn't know is Gaelic for pussycat. Okay. Uh, again, pet names. Every single one of these men does not call her Esther. Yeah. They all call her something else. Esther 
likes his vibe and immediately fucks him immediately mm, i like the way i can't see you exactly well, they, uh, that's part of it like they he, he dirty talks all the ways that they could do it without him yeah. being visible like, he cannot control his invisibility he's invisible all of the time and mm. esther's kind of turned on by that the idea of like essentially looking like she's getting fucked by a ghost in a hallway yeah <laughs> she yeah. likes the idea of it so. no I, I i can imagine um so they have this dirty romp and they finish and just as soon about as soon as they finish magdalena knocks on the door ezra has enough time to jump off of her and hide he hides behind something like he's not <laughs> fucking invisible um, it's instinct <laughs> yeah it's instinct yeah, it is. I, you know it's like it's like when you cut your hair like if you had long hair and then you cut it and you still like you don't have hair anymore but you still pull it behind your ears yeah like when you flip your head even though you don't have bangs anymore exactly that kind of thing yeah yeah so he's hiding magdalena opens the door she escorts in Eamon, who is here two days early but he's here and he wants to meet her but he has godlike powers and he can see ezra hiding naked behind the couch and he gets pissed and leaves so mad so mad she's not your property Eamon. seriously they have a conversation about that later straight up see? she's like Amen. I am not a possession. So Ezra agrees to leave. He is not a member. He's not supposed to be there. He wasn't even supposed to be able to get through the wards. But the reason he is invisible is because he is a thief and he asked a witch to make him more discreet. And in doing so, she turned him completely invisible, made him uncatchable, like magically. He can't be caught and he can slip through these wards. Like he can sort of feel them out, find where they're where they're not supposed like where they're yeah. supposed to be there but there's a hole and he just slips right on through and he has come to the house specifically to see esther because he watched her diddle herself while she watched a vam while she watched a werewolf fuck a girl in the lawn i'm telling He's you just man. really into how open she is about needing to get fucked a lot yeah well yeah i mean i can i can understand why that would be appealing because you're like i think i got a shot yeah you right know? i'm he just, just he just really wanted to be he just wanted to see yeah he just wanted to see what it was all about yeah and he did and it worked out because because Esther likes him. Esther likes him because he reminds her of herself, specifically because she's now in this like lavish world of upper class people. And she is used to being a servant. And Ez Ezra is a thief. He's yep. a more normal person. He can keep her a little more grounded, I yeah. think. Um, but he's he's a sweetheart and he agrees to leave immediately. He does not argue or try to stay. Esther is chastised by Magdalena because she's not supposed to have people in she's not chastised for having sex with a man who isn't paying she's chastised for having a man in her room who isn't supposed to be there end of the laneway don't come up the property exactly and for upsetting Eamon who is perhaps the most powerful person currently on Rooksgrave's books you don't piss off a sphinx yeah she agrees to not see Ezra again although she does chastise Elena or not Elena she she chastises magdalena basically saying he can't afford to be a member here that's not fair if this place isn't open to everybody then it's not it shouldn't be open to anybody as esther is about equality good for her esther's here for it she yeah. wants to socialize sex work exactly after all of that esther takes a quick bath gotta wash off all that sex there's a really cute like aftercare scene where Booker takes care of her, dries her off, gets her dressed, etc., etc. He's a loving and caring man made of stone. All right. Um, 
the next chapter is a mostly a discussion of how the the wards are starting to fray around the edges and magdalena is very concerned about that and so for the meantime they're not going to let anybody in who isn't supposed to be there and ezra is not allowed to come back um she magdalena never gives esther a hard time for how much sex she wants to have mm-hmm. she's a go-getter she she is yeah she is she's just a rise and grind every day <laughs> <laughs> It's a new, it takes on a, a whole new meaning when you apply it to sex work. Exactly. Um, but she sends Esther to bed and tells her not to have any guests to, to rest for the night because Eamon is returning in the morning and he is a morning person as opposed to most of the other monsters who like to remain in the dark and hide. Um, some of them, like August, can't be in the sun because yeah. it will kill them. Eamon is a sun god or sun creature mm-hmm. of some kind he is a morning person so he's going to be there a freaking tiktok right and fucking early right and early <laughs> and esther needs to be ready because who isn't horny at sunrise am i right yeah well you are i am I... <laughs> don't don't compare yourself to me it's not fair yeah yeah carl also uh subsists on about six hours of sleep a night do not compare yourself to also, him in any way he's weird yeah if i'm lucky six if i get if i get five i can survive yeah um, so the next morning, uh, Magdalena is very crabby when she wakes Esther up because it's fucking daybreak and they work in a brothel. They're supposed to sleep during the day. <laughs> yeah, man. They do all their best fucking at like 4 a.m. Who's getting up at daybreak? Anyway, uh, she gives Esther a gift from Eamon. It is a dress that is almost entirely see-through and covered in beads, but it is traditional Egyptian royalty wear garb. Okay. And escorts Esther to a big sunroom where Eamon can be grandiose because he's grandiose. He is the most powerful, the most rich. He's essentially a king. The most extra. The most extra. He is Eamon. And he tells her that he forgives her for her dalliance. Not that there's anything to forgive. She can do whatever she wants, Eamon. Eat shit. Amen. Right. But um, he does think that she he, she needs to prove that she is uh, contrite. And he does that by edging her for four hours. Jesus, dude. Right? That's rude. After right? a certain point, there's a, a, a very precipitous diminishing. Like the returns drop and diminish pretty precipitously after a certain point, I have to imagine. And during, yeah. during an edging session, like you're yeah. there, you're there, you're there. Okay, now would be a good time. No, we're going to keep doing this. Okay, this is just this this just hurts now. Seriously, over and over. For 4 hours, I would kick you in the face. I would uh, understand. Yeah. So they 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 get through all of that and um then he flips her over, decides that it's time for her to come and come and come and come and never stop coming. That's his next punishment for her. And this is where we learned that Eamon has a weird dick. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Weird dick sighting. Weird dick sighting. Eamon the Sphinx has, he calls it a hook. Oh. And I don't like the word hook because I don't like thinking about anything called a hook being anywhere near my my soft parts. No. Right? It sounds awful. But what essentially what it is is like a fin that raises off of the top and keeps him in place so that he can't pull out past her pubic bone. Okay. And it sits sort of right above the head. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm sketching it. I'm sketching it in my brain. Yeah. And it sounds like it shouldn't feel good, but I mean, I get depending on how big the fit is. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I can imagine I don't know. like she something... says it feels good. I, I, mean, I, I believe her. Yeah, right there in the inside. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, well, it's like perfect G spot placement. Exactly. So I mean, maybe it's fantastic. Yeah. I don't know. It goes it it goes down on its own after a couple of minutes. It doesn't cause her any pain. So that's all I care about, right? Yeah. Um, they enjoy their time together thoroughly for I think a day or two, and then um, they have a conversation where Esther basically tells him, "I'm going to have other men." And you're going to have to get used to it. Good for her. And he kind of kind of sort of brushes it off like, don't worry, I will. I'll be the one to win. And he thinks he can buy her. Like he thinks well, she, yeah, he says gross. that she's a queen and she should be she should be showered in jewels and clothes and fine things because yeah. she's a queen and she deserves it. But that's not the kind of queen Esther wants to be. No. She doesn't want to be purchased. Uh, she just wants to be loved and respected and cared for. Yeah. Uh, presents are nice. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love prezzies. But, but she wants to be queen of getting that dick. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so she tells him that she can he can spoil her with money all he wants. But he if he can't behave himself and keep control of his jealousy, he's gone. Good for her. Yeah. And then he leaves and she sort of has this nice little musing moment where she realizes that one of the things that she loves, that one of the things that she was doing with having so much sex was finding an emotional intimacy that she never had. And she's starting to discover herself and what she really likes. And what she really likes is to be cared about because no one has ever cared about her in her entire life. Mm -hmm. Right. The next morning she gets up, she goes, she has breakfast with the other girls of the house. She's never met these women. She's been there for a week. She's had so much sex, but she's <laughs> never met the other people who worked so there. So sorry, you guys. I was so excited excited to get right to work when i yeah. got here at R to rook's grave manor I, I look i just i'm all about that grind lifestyle i just get up and from sun up to sundown it's dick yep just just dick dick all day dick 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 that was fun to say a, a bunch <laughs> of times in a row um i bet the semantic satiation would set in real quick with the word dick it doesn't though, because it does. it's because it's like a it's like a nice little like um it's sort of like a metronome. Dick 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 dick. Yeah. <laughs> How many times can we say dick on this podcast before somebody reports us? To um, who? To whom? Jim podcast <laughs> owner of podcasts on like. That's Jim the whole podcast. the whole beauty of this. Is, I know. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Fire yeah, me? What are you from gonna do? My, fire me from the. <laughs> podcast that i helped create as long as we put the appropriate ratings on it i don't think you can do shit eat but anyway. shit jim podcast yeah so esther goes and she meets her co-workers uh, a lovely girl named sally a lovely girl named cassie they talk about the men that they have they all have various different kinds of men i think over the course of the book we meet something some someone who looks a bit like a minotaur uh, someone who looks a bit like an ogre. Do, do uh, we? Do they discuss where the Minotaur's dick is? Is it like on the front, or is it where the horse's penis would normally be? Oh no, they never. Oh, I've always wondered that. They, I, I, I have read Minotaur books. Do you want me to read you a Minotaur book so you can figure that out? Well, not right now. We're in the middle of this one, yeah. but eventually, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. So she gets to know the other girls. They're all pretty much there for the same reason. They like getting laid and they like getting paid, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're having a great time. But down at the end, there is one sourpuss who is ruining the party for everyone. Her name is Mary. She hates being here. She hates everything about it. She thinks that her men are disgusting. Um, she charges them extra. Like she already gets paid. Yeah. But she charges them 
herself. <laughs> I'm charging you an extra I hate you fee. It's really kind of awful. And Esther decides immediately she doesn't want to be anything like Mary. She goes to town with Mary to like shop for shoes or whatever. And Mary's like really into the milliner's son and just wants to have a normal life where she just marries the the richest guy in the small town and gets to be her little like small town queen. Then what is the what the fuck is she doing at Rosegrave Manor? Oh, they just they actually explain that like much later. It's just sort of like a it's sort of like a brush off thing. But they basically say that Mary comes from wealth and she was married off to a wealthy man to help settle her father's debts. But um, he was abusive and cruel. So she ran away and she found Rosegrave. And now she's just trying to get out by getting enough money to leave. Okay, which is a legitimate reason to work in sex work absolutely it's that she's such a sourpuss yeah yeah you know i thought maybe she was like taking a gap year or something nope yeah no she she just she's doing what she can to survive fair um but esther thinks about that life the life that mary wants so badly and thinks it's sort of boring and drab and sad and she doesn't want to have anything to do with it okay um so she decides she's going to distance herself from mary the next day no no. Okay. That evening. That evening, Esther decides that she wants to go and see what happens in the house at night. She starts walking down to the evening party, uh, which is, as we will discover later, an orgy. Um, but she's stopped in the hallway by Magdalena, who is acting very strangely because the wa- the wards are coming apart and she's, she's acting very str- – she's concerning. Mm-hmm. So Esther decides she doesn't want to go down to the party. She's too worried about Magdalena. She's just going to go to bed. Um, the next morning – Booker comes to wake her up because it's his job now. That's what he does. He takes care of all of her like physical needs and stuff and uh, gets her dressed and then fingers her to a double climax because he wants to. And he tells her he will do that for her every single morning. You know, well, what am I saying? Like, I, I, I eat the same thing every day. Yeah. Like, I'd like eventually you'd get tired of getting fingered every day, wouldn't you? No. What? You get? I, do you get tired of jacking off every day? I know you do it. I, I almost don't. Every day. No. Sometimes twice. Yeah. I don't. I don't get tired. Why would of you it. get tired of it? Yeah. Good point. <laughs> so why should Esther get tired of it? No idea. No idea. Not a one. Anyway, so that's that is now established. Esther is slowly building a sexual relationship with Booker. Knew it. <clears throat> I mean, it's only a matter of time. And uh, Booker sends her after they're done. Booker sends her off to meet Magdalena, who offers her a one-time appointment for a gentleman who is passing through. This isn't his normal house, but he needs to be serviced. That feels gross to say, but he needs companionship for the night. There you go. He is a water demon, so Esther needs to go down to the grotto below the house to meet him, and she agrees because she's endlessly curious and endlessly horny. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes down that she goes down that night to meet him. Uh, Booker goes down with her, but he just sort of hangs out like on the stairs. And uh, he likes to watch. Actually, no, Booker doesn't like to watch. August likes to watch. Oh, okay. um, but uh, <laughs> she gets into the grotto and she starts walking in. And she this water demon seems kind of weird because it's not made. It's not like a person. It is made of water and it can sort of move her around in the water and she's having a good time. But then very suddenly it pulls her underneath the water, attempts to assault her, shoves a magical water something or other into water, her, uh, water into ball her gag mouth, into her mouth, tries to assault her vaginally and um, she fights all she can and the whole time it's it's talking about how um, he will love her and he has plans for her so this water demon is not doing this for himself he works for someone else and this is the first 
the first little glimpse that we get that there is actually an antagonist in this book excuse me esther is pulled under the water she is nearly drowned but she is saved by ezra who has wormed his way back into the house through one of the broken wards again. <laughs> Sneaky Ezra. Sneaky Ezra. And he manages to get her only because he cannot be caught magically. He can't be caught. So the the water demon, who is actually a water wraith, can't um, can't grab him and pull him under too. She, they get her back up to the surface. Booker apologizes profusely. He can't swim because he's made of stone. Yeah. And um, <laughs> He can walk underwater real well, though. Yeah. Um, when she gets back up to the surface, she hears multiple voices, uh, but she doesn't know who all of them are because she can't open her eyes. She coughs up a ton of water and then she passes out. Um, the next morning when she wakes up after her orde ordeal, she's in her own bed and all of her men are there at the same time, including Jonathan. Awkward. Yeah. Um, or not. Well, it's not supposed to be. This is this is a choose romance. They're, That's they're right. going to form a collective. They're going yeah. to form a polycule of their own design. Oh, good for them. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, it's going to take a while to get there. That's what a romance. That's what that's what distinguishes a romance novel. The entire novel is about the relationship building. <clears throat> All of the men have different plans for how they want to take care of this. Eamon wants to take her away. He's big prick about it. He's a big prick about Ezra even being in the room, but he kind of begrudgingly has to respect him because he did save Esther's life. Magdalena apologizes like a million times because she never would have sent her down there if she had known. But of course, how could she have known she was fooled? Um, Magdalena agrees to uh, in thanks for Ezra saving Esther's life to um, helping him make his invisibility voluntary if he will in exchange um, invisibly monitor the house at all times to make sure nobody else gets hurt look at that yeah he she also uh, negotiates his membership so he's officially allowed to be in the house and he is officially one of Esther's men Membership has its privileges. Yeah. And, and at the end of all of that, Esther basically goes, shoo, 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 shoo. Everybody get the fuck out of my room except Ezra. And they have the proper cuddle and like a nice sweet. Oh, I thought she was just going to kick them all out and then diddle again. No, no. It's not always about diddling. There is some cute shit that happens in here. There's some nice cuddles and loving moments. All right. Yeah. But, Esther but mostly diddles. Esther and Ezra have a bath, which is fascinating because she describes how an invisible man looks in a bathtub. Okay. I, I, I love the idea of there just being a hollow where they're like where a person <laughs> should be, but it's in water. You're displacing water, but you're not you're not there. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan is also there that morning. They sort of like ha they have breakfast, get to know each other, flirt. They're very cute together. And uh, she realizes that she likes all of them equally. And she wonders how she's going to manage six men it's a good because, problem to have yeah so now we have established all of these characters this is a menage a sex situation or menage a six i don't know how to pronounce six in french yeah me neither i think it's Un, six du, trois, quatre. Quatre. okay okay yeah. quatre cinq six sept huit neuf yeah okay it's a lot of dicks it's a lot of dicks so we have dr jonathan underwood slash mr tanner he is two people we're gonna count that as two but he's one body right yeah. and then we have ezra mckenna booker amon and august thibodeau i think i got them all i think so was that all of them yeah i mean you you got to six yeah yeah so it's so. six and she realizes that she wants to have all of them and she's allowed to she can have as many as she wants yeah. but magdalena tells her that she might want to stop now <laughs> <laughs> Maybe slow down and leave some for the rest of us there, right? Esther, honey. You're, 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 you're taking up all the dick. Yep. It's a small town. Yep. 
she uh, agrees to go to London with August mm-hmm. and Jonathan as as originally planned because August and Jonathan can keep her safe. Mm-hmm. Mr. Tanner can keep her safe from literally anything. So they go to London. They stay at August's house. August's house is a lovely townhouse in the middle of town run by a housekeeper named Cork who is a pixie. Oh, yeah. I was wondering when we would see a pixie show yeah. up. Yeah, so that's super fun. They uh, spoil her, they buy her dresses, they give her nice things so that they can take her to dinner and then take her to the theater. And uh, Esther's never been to the theater. She's very excited. It's not like any theater anybody has ever been to before. Oh boy, what are we doing uh, here? Because this <clears throat> is live pornography oh stage fucking yeah stage fucking and i am going to um, cheat out cheat out (laughs) we can't see your face cheat out what happens next is four chapters of fucking (laughs) four i think three or four in a row that's so much fucking so much normally romance novels don't have this much fucking in them this is a special case oh but there is the the fucking ratio in this book is insane it's insane. Mm-hmm. There's, it's so much. And Esther, Esther's just, she just goes for it. Well, yeah. At all times. I, I'm so proud of her. At one point, she is described as a nymphomaniac. And I think that's pretty, that's pretty accurate in this case. She enjoys sex and she has it multiple times a day. Yeah. And that's cool, right? <laughs> that's what you're into. So I'm just going to read you straight from my notes what happens next. They go to see a production by The Company of Fiends. It is called Tantalizing Nightmares. The Company of Fiends is the theater production company. There is a second book in this series. It's called In the Company of Fiends. It is about these performers. Yeah. Um, this theater is live monster pornography. They have box seats. <laughs> <laughs> People with the little binoculars. Oh, right. Can you like, like long satin gloves and little binoculars, yeah. little opera glasses. Little gentle clapping. Yep. Act one. Two werebears chase and trap a woman. Five humans chained to the stage are fucked by any number of combinations of monsters, including an onyx black demon with wings and horns, some kind of scaly creature who eats ass, and and other undescribed fiends. I like how it's like, he's scaly and he eats ass. (laughs) Which sounds like a way you would explain, like, I got this friend, you should meet him. He's, he's a little scaly, scaly but, but, he but, he, but he eats ass. He and just, I know that you I like your ass. That. I know you like to get your ass at. Exactly. So. Yeah. So you, you into this? Yeah. yeah. You're into this. Uh, I'll, gi- I'll give you a number. Yeah. Esther is entirely fascinated by all of this. She loves it. And uh, Jonathan and August enjoy their foreplay thoroughly by not fucking her in this box. No matter how. In her, <laughs> in her box? In, in this uh, in that private box? box. Private opera box or theater box. Yeah. Um, no matter how much she begs. At one point, she literally is like, if I fling myself down into the standing house, someone will fuck me. <laughs> Esther. <laughs> Calm down. Girl. Calm down. Um, but they tell her that if she is very good, she will get to participate in act three. Oh, little audience participation. Yes. Act two. Five women get fucked by an an Akuro Kamui. I don't don't really know how to pronounce this. Akura Kamui. It is a a creature much like a kraken, but from indigenous Japanese folklore. Okay, so there's a slight hentai vibe going on there? Oh, full-on tentacles. Okay. (laughs) Full-on tentacles, fucking ladies. Yeah. Um there is tentacle there's tentacle porn. It's it's well described. Um 
<laughs> it's very thorough. It's very thorough. Um, at one point, like he, it literally throws a woman in the air and just catches her by the vagina, <laughs> like right on a tentacle. It's crazy, Spins my her guy. Around. It's crazy. Um, uh, Does August, a neat ventriloquist act. August and Jonathan vow to never take her to Japan because they'll never get her back. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> um, act three. Esther is taken on stage. She agrees to go on stage and perform for this crowd. And she's taken on stage and, and strapped into what is essentially like a modified medical chair. And then Jonathan uses one of his inventions to repeatedly electrocute her with little electrical wands. He's, my notes say he repeatedly electrocutes her with the machine consisting of two brass wands attached to a power source. On the clip? Oh yeah. What? When he like when he finally touches it to her clit, she she comes like crazy. I don't know, my guy. I don't know. I've never heard of this shit. I would <laughs> I don't even like it when I get a little static electric shock. I know, you right? But like Esther's up. really adventurous and down for it all. <laughs> 50,000 down for in it. My dick. Get um once she has been worn out and electrocuted to orgasm, she is released and left alone on stage with Mr. Tanner. Esther realizes that at this point that, that what this theater is about isn't it's not about watching people fuck. I mean, yeah, it's about watching people fuck, obviously. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't be fucking on stage. Um, Why are we here? <laughs> but it's more about the monsters wanting to see sexual acceptance like they want these yeah. they all just want to be accepted yeah. and so esther decides that's what she's going to give them she's going to show them that she fully accepts mr tanner for everything that he is so she demands to see his face and he is big and brutish and kind of ugly she says he's not pretty yeah but she likes him anyway because he's mr tanner and she likes Mr. Tanner and she just rides him into oblivion. And it's so fantastic, apparently, that a spontaneous orgy breaks out in the crowd. <laughs> yes. I've, I've seen a lot of theater. Yes. But I've never seen theater that has induced the crowd into an orgy. Yeah. And she is very vocal about how much she likes him, how much she, how he is hers and she is his. And like, that's all any of these monsters want. And she knows that. So that's what she gives them. And she's looking out into the crowd and she's kind of excited by the fact that she has caused what I wrote here was a sympathetic orgy. <laughs> <laughs> the resonant frequency of our fucking... <laughs> has created a sympathy orgy a sympathy orgy yeah so she's looking out into the crowd and she's kind of getting off on it she's a big exhibitionist and she likes the the idea that she has made this entire crowd of people just so horny and she sees someone in the crowd who is just standing there staring at her and she feels like she should recognize him but she doesn't and every time she looks away from him she can't remember his face and she finds him quite disturbing so she finishes but because, okay, so because you've got to finish she's disturbed but i'm i'm still gonna finish yeah and i'm still gonna get this immediately she is swept off stage by mr tanner because he's already done as well they take her back to the uh they take her back to the carriage they start getting her back to august's house where she can be safe and they realize that this antagonist the person who tried to take her before and the person who was standing in the crowd is a man called bersha bersha is the king of gomorrah 
Okay. As in Sodom and. <laughs> Gamora, comma, Sodom and. He is um, immortal, but they have no idea how because he was a man and he's not now. And he runs. <laughs> I wrote this and I want to read it because I thought it was funny. So I'm just going to do this. Shoot your shot. He specializes in sin. He runs houses like Rook, Rook's Grave, but without the OSHA standards. <laughs> <laughs> So what he really specializes in is is monsters having sex consensually or no. Yeah. And he's not a he's not a good person. He just likes to as they say break pretty things. Oh. He gross. can't they don't know where he is. They don't know how to locate him. They have no idea how to even begin so they decide that the only thing that they should do is get her safe. Mm-hmm. They go back home. She, I'm, I'm sure, takes a shower, goes to bed. Probably has sex. I just assume. Not. Well, she already just had sex on stage for like an hour. This is Esther we're talking about. Yeah, this about. is Esther we're talking about. Who knows? Who knows? Who needs rest? Girl's Not crazy. Esther. Not Esther, no. No. Next morning, though, uh, she wakes up and, and Jonathan is there with her. And uh, she wakes him with a blowjob. Good because for her. she's a really, really lovely lady. Yeah, she is. And they have, a, uh, they have like a sort of sweet and romantic, less athletic kind of sex yeah um they spend the day sort of lolling about in bed and just chatting and um wondering wondering how to uh, how to keep rook's grave safe how to keep the wards tight and uh how to manage the uh whole menage cease situation that they find themselves in okay um at in the evening Jonathan takes Esther to August's discreet sleeping quarters just as he's about to wake up so she can do the exact same thing to him because Jonathan likes to share. Yeah, he's a good man. He's yeah. a good friend. It is bisexual threesome time. Oh, boy. August fucks Esther. Jonathan fucks August. Big sandwich. Well. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, Jonathan and August are very close. <laughs> no, no shit. Um. And that really right there, that is how we're going to dismantle toxic masculinity. Absolutely. If you really want to take down toxic masculinity, let your friend fuck you in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe blow your friend every Maybe once in a while. Maybe blow your friend. Blow your friend. What? What's wrong? You never blow the homies? <laughs> we call that a blow me. <laughs> uh, um, blow me. We don't really call it that. We, we just don't. call it blowjobs. Yeah. So they enjoy themselves for the night in their um, their bisexual threesome. And the next day, Esther and um, Jonathan, I believe. Nope, August. The next day, Esther and August return to Rook's grave, uh, where they meet a couple of other house own, or house mother, father figures from the French house and the Irish house, who have also been having trouble with Bersha, and they're going to try and figure out how to strategize to keep all of them safe. So this Bersha is a real pain in the ass. He is a big, horrible meanie. Okay. He's horrible. Yeah, I don't like him already. Yeah. They go into a little bit about um, how the other houses are run. Esther asks August why he didn't go to the French house if he is a Frenchman. And he basically says it's because that house is run by Incubi and Incubi have the power to make people horny um, with magic, but it is addictive and all of the humans in the house are kind of like junkies now. It's sad and scary. Sex junkies. He doesn't like it, so he won't go there. He doesn't agree with the policies. The next morning, Ezra wakes Esther with head. Why don't you ever wake me with head? Because if I woke you up (laughs) when I wake up, 
yeah, I'd probably punch you in the if face. You, if you woke up with me going down on you at 530 in the morning. I would be mad. You would I be would. extremely I would be mad. mad. I would be so mad. But anyway, so Ezra wakes Esther with head and she opens her mouth, her, her mouth her eyes to find he is visible now hooray magdalena kept good on her promise ezra is now a visible man and he's just a big irish hunk and lunk yeah like he's just a sweet irish baby i guess he's got freckles and everything oh adorable isn't he so cute he um he hangs out for a little while but um he has to leave again because he promises to keep an eye on the grounds and that's now his job he is part of how he is paying for his membership is by keeping the grounds safe for everyone yep um, Amon comes to visit again and he and Esther have another very long conversation where she lays out her expectations in full. She basically says, you don't treat Booker like a servant. He's not a servant. He's a person. He just happens to be made of stone. Uh, you don't treat Ezra like a criminal because he is a good man and you have to be kind to all of, all of the group, respect everyone and treat them all the way that he would treat her. <clears throat> not to say edge them for four hours, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Why is he doing this? <laughs> she said I had to treat everybody the way I treat her. Esther! Esther. <laughs> I'm just imagining just <laughs> shouting to the rooftops because she said the wrong thing. Um, anyway, Eamon basically agrees that he will try and she reminds him that if he doesn't, then he's going to to leave do or do not and then she says do or do not there is no try yeah uh turns out yoda stole that from ezra Uh, yeah esther because this is victorian this was victorian yeah that happened before star wars everybody knows victorian the victorian era happened before star wars a long long time ago it was actually um just 1912 (laughs) (laughs) a long time ago in a galaxy far far away yeah yeah the next day uh they they just spend the day in the house enjoying themselves. There's a lot of leisure time when you are a sex worker, apparently, in this universe. I, I don't know that there's a lot of leisure time for sex workers in the real world. I can't imagine. But uh, in Esther's world, there's a lot of leisure time. She wakes up the next day with Booker in her bed. They have a dirty cuddle. It's nice. Um, but he has been put under strict orders by August not to have sex with her because they have plans. Mm. You should explain what a dirty cuddle is. Oh, a dirty cuddle is, um, or what we call it. What we, (laughs) I don't want to talk about, um, you don't have to, a dirty, a dirty cuddle is when you, um, don't want to have penetrative sex, but you still want to get off and you want it to be with your partner, um, so you snuggle up together and one or the other or both of you touches one or the other or both of your genitals until you get off. I guess it could have been pretty self-explanatory, yeah. but it was funny to see you squirm. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. Esther leaves uh, because she's a little pissed off that nobody will have sex with her. <laughs> well... She's sort of established it, right? She has sex a lot, and now nobody will do it. But that's what I'm saying is like, okay, what's up? Get six? Six and you can't? Come on. Can't throw a girl a bone? Yeah. So she decides to get up and go for a walk on the grounds. She's trying to find Ezra, who is also walking the grounds, who has agreed to uh, maybe do some fun, invisible stuff with her in a field. Like... (laughs) 
Esther's into the idea of him being invisible and fucking yeah. her in places. Just like, get a big flowy skirt and sit down on exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Like, that yeah. sounds great. And nobody would even know that you're just sort of gently, like, it looks like you're just sort of, sh- like, like scratching your ass. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a cock in there. Yeah. <laughs> and while they're out, Ezra, like, grabs her and goes, shh, come over here, look, look, look. And uh, Mary is having sex with Jacob Coombs, the townie, mm. yeah. for money. Yeah. Uh, on the grounds which she's not supposed to be doing which she's not supposed to be doing because they're on the grounds right she can have sex with whoever she wants to have sex with just not on the grounds so ezra has to go and tell magdalena yep and he leaves her be so she's left bereft once again ain't nobody gonna come fuck esther she's getting clam jammed left and right (laughs) it's one day it's one day but isn't it sad yeah so that night esther goes to dinner she gets all dressed up uh, I think she goes with August and maybe even Ezra, but they go to dinner. They enjoy the company, like the, the actual like fancy plan dinner that happens every night at Rook's Grave. And then they go to the Rook's Grave party, which surprise, not surprise anymore, is an orgy. I was going to say that is the least surprising thing you could say to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> the next chapter is is just sex okay again the entire the entirety of chapter 23 is just the orgy in which we learn ezra mckenna eats ass august thibodeau loves cuckolding oh he loves esther intentionally trying to make him jealous by fucking one of her other partners okay and booker has a weird dick just like all the other ones. i would be disappointed if he did how weird is it well he's made of stone he is carved so he is carved to be whatever he needs to be right but it's so it's extra large it has ridges for her pleasure And he can control it with his mind. Like he doesn't have yeah. blood flow. He doesn't get erections. It just he just yeah. makes it go up when it needs to. Yeah. And that's where she finally has sex with Booker. After all these chapters of them sort of like dancing around each other, they mm. actually finally do it. And everyone in the house watches. They're all fascinated because she's having sex with one of the statues. Yeah. And uh she's super, super into it. She loves it. Well, she loves Booker. She loves them all. Well, of course. But, but you've got a, a a big hard rock cock with ridges. Like how are you supposed to compete with that? Yeah. How are you supposed to compete with that? Oh, that's also there's also double penetration in that scene. Oh boy. Uh I think it's Booker in the vagina and August in the bum. Okay. And Ezra in the mouth. Whoa. Yeah. TP. Yeah. I don't as think of that I don't think of that as being I, triple I, penetration, I, but yeah, no, I mean I guess not. it kind of is. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's sort of like but it's not an Eiffel Tower either. It's, what the fuck is it's that? It's not an Eiffel Tower, but I mean, like, any time a, a penis, you know, like, crosses the plane of any circle, I guess, I guess, just consider yeah. that. <laughs> any, any hole. Your fingers go like this, yeah. you know, like, if any act, that's... Yeah, yeah. You're penetrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're splitting hairs. So Esther enjoys the exhibitionism of doing all of this. She's having a, a great time. Yeah. The next morning, she wakes up uh, sore but happy with Booker in her bed, and he immediately starts to strangle her like for funsies no oh dun 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 bursha has made his way through the magic into booker Uh, to try and kill her okay 
and it's terrifying for a few seconds esther really thinks she's going to die uh bersha basically tells her that booker has no control because he's not real and esther is like yes he is and so she does she does like a like a more sensual version of the sun's getting real low okay <laughs> horny sun's getting real horny low. sun's getting real low where she she just tries to coax him yeah. out and and eventually booker is able to break that to break that control that bersha has over her over him he breaks off and um her life is saved they want to make sure that it doesn't happen to booker again i mean the, everybody else wants to make sure it doesn't happen to esther again of course but esther wants to make sure it doesn't happen to booker again right and they talk to magdalena who's the one who made booker to begin with and she basically says the only the best way to do this is going to be to magically tether booker directly to esther so that there's no there's no hole in his like magical defenses anymore mm -hmm. she will be booker's master she doesn't want to do that though because she doesn't want anybody to control him but him right but even she, like she will have some amount of control over him because he is not a human being yeah but he says he wants to do it all he wants is to be with her for the rest mm. of eternity so if that's what it takes then that's what he's gonna do they agree to do that they're gonna magdalena goes to get it all set up and then they hear somebody screaming in the hallway because mary got fired Oh, Mary, well, you weren't supposed to bring the townie onto the property, Mary. End of the laneway. End of the laneway, Mary. So Mary gets fired. And we're not really that sad to see her go. No. Unfortunately, we're not that sad to see her go. But but now there's a job opening at Rooksgrave. Yeah. And if anybody wants <laughs> in on it, there's a job opening at I, Rooksgrave. I would love to read the Indeed ad. <laughs> right. <laughs> For Rooksgrave Manor. <laughs> Seeking enthusiastic, yeah, curious, and yeah. Uh, what are all the, the buzzwords? Yeah, what would you what would you call the open minded? Uh, yeah, open minded uh, for a good cultural fit for our company. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that is the end of Mary's tenure on the on the the property. Right. She leaves. Um, Do we see her at all? In we see her a, very, a little bit at the end. She's hooked up with the milliner's son. No. Well, good for exactly. Because that's what she wanted. She got what she wanted out of her life. She's yeah. just being a snuck up snooty snob about it the whole time. Yeah. Esther and Booker are magically linked. It's a very sweet and emotional little scene where Esther realizes that Booker always had a special place in her heart anyway. And now there's just magic there, too. It's very nice. Uh, and then later that day, Ezra fucks her while invisible in front of a mirror. <laughs> I love it. She has this touching, deep emotional moment with Booker, and then she fucks Ezra while he's invisible in front of a mirror. Yeah. I mean, get after it. Yes. I mean, I, this is. The, I mean, I'm laughing not because I, I think this is bad. I'm laughing because I just. I, I'm impressed. I am too. It sounds tiring. It feels like Esther should be really tired all the time yeah. and sore. Yeah. All of the sex that is described here is like incredibly athletic and really like some of it's really rough. Uh, yeah. And, and the size of and these. And the size of these dicks. Yeah. And the weird shapes that they come in. And she's just after it. She's just going after it all the time. And she's fine yeah no i it, it, you know honestly she that's her magical power that's her magical power jonathan should be studying her ability to fucking bounce back after getting nailed into a wall by an invisible man you know right. <laughs> uh she also has sex with aemon again where he's like fully animalistic -y, lion -y. no there's 
I mean, he is he's a shapeshifter. He okay. can turn into he ha- he looks like a lion with a man's face and wings. Like okay. a sphinx. Yeah. Yeah. Like you would imagine a sphinx looks like. Not that you can imagine. What is, that's a that's that's a made up thing. But if you think about the sphinx with a nose, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the the big sphinx statue yep. with a nose, that's yep. essentially what a sphinx is is shaped like. It is a man with a lion's body and wings. After all of this is settled and Esther has had her thing in the mirror and all of that stuff has gone down, everybody goes to Amon's new house for dinner. Mm-hmm. That's Esther Booker, Ezra, Jonathan, and August all go to Eamon's house. Eamon bought a house nearby so that he could be close to her. Wow. Because he's from Egypt, but he is here now. That pussy's so good. It Yes, it brought him all the way from Africa. <laughs> he bought a second house. He bought probably <laughs> like a ninth or tenth house. He's extremely yeah, I know. Rich, I mean, I, yeah. it's nothing to him, yeah. but still. Yeah. But he, so they go to this house and it's essentially like, it's a palace. It's huge. It shouldn't be like, Esther's like, why, why did you buy a house this big? It's just me. Yeah. And it's not though. It's her and five dudes. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> six, five dudes. One of them shares a body with another dude. Yeah. It's try, imagine trying to explain that. Like, well, I have five boys. Well, no, technically I have six because there's one guy. Yeah. It's technically two guys. Yeah. Sometimes he's Jonathan and sometimes he's Mr. Tanner, but always he's good to me. You so know? You're, you're into role playing? No, he's no, no. literally two yeah, people. Yeah, he's two people. So they all go to dinner and um, Eamon and the rest of the men essentially offer her the chance to leave Rook's grave and be with them forever. She doesn't have to go. She can stay at Rook's grave if that's where she wants to be, but she doesn't have a need for an income if she's got all of these men, two of whom are incredibly rich. I was going to say, between Eamon and, and Alex? August. August. Yeah. Between Eamon and August, you're set. Yeah. Eamon and August are incredibly rich. Jonathan doctor. Jonathan is a doctor. Yeah, doctor Jonathan yeah. Underwood. Eamon's, they're not Eamon, uh, what's it, the thief? Ezra. Ezra. Yep. Ezra's the thief. Ezra's you know. a, a magical thief who could steal you the fucking Hope Diamond if you wanted it bad enough. Exactly. You know? and, and Booker is made of stone, but he is so goddamn loyal yep. that he would go out, he would work at Arby's for Esther if that's what she needed. If she was like, Booker, we got nothing. I need you to get a job at Taco Bell. He'd be like, you got it. And Victorian, off he'd go. Victorian, Victorian Taco, Taco, Bell. Taco Bell. coming your way. <laughs> like they had ever heard of tacos in Victorian England. They would they would burn you at the stake if you tried to present them with a taco. Yeah, they probably would. What is this devil magic? <laughs> the spicy food. These spices. We haven't conquered the place these spices are from yet. <laughs> Where'd you get these? Where'd you get Can these? Can you draw me a map? <laughs> I really have a thing for conquering places with yeah. spices. I just really want to own all the spices. I'm oh, not gonna... oh, oh, Spain already conquered them. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it, Spain. Uh, colonialization is bullshit, everyone. Yeah, don't don't colonize. Yeah. Anyway, um, colonialization colonization thank you so much for fixing me there i i didn't I, yeah i didn't mean to so anyway after all of this amen is basically like i promise i'll be good and i won't treat you like a possession if you will please just stay with me forever i love you so much my little star he calls her his little star it's no. very sweet anyway she agrees and they celebrate with an 18 page menage a six. <laughs> Wow. I'm telling you, like when I was going through this, because I just uh, peek behind the curtain here. I've read this book before, obviously. So I just sca- I just skimmed this for relevant information to tell you this story. Mm-hmm. I was reading this and I was like, is there 
there's no plot. And I counted one, two, three, four, 18 pages. This 18 is the sex pages. Scene that never Seriously. Ends. And everybody gets a turn and they all have so much fun yep. and it's great. And Esther blows Booker, which is weird because he's made of stone. He can't actually have an orgasm, poor Booker. Dude. I know. Um, well, he can't, he can't ejaculate. I don't know if he can have an orgasm, but they, they very specifically say he can't ejaculate. That's a bummer. Well, he's made of stone. He doesn't have any bodily fluids. But still. Yeah. So they enjoy their menage a however many mm-hmm. for 18 pages and before I hope finally passing the fuck out and getting some rest. Somebody. Somebody. Anybody. There's a doctor here. He should probably be telling everyone to calm down. <laughs> you guys, we need uh, here. Here's some Pedialyte. You need to hydrate. This is this is getting intense. Pedialyte, burn him. <laughs> Devil <laughs> magic. Again. What is this magical elixir? Exactly. I call it Pedialyte. Yeah. The next day or that that morning at like 4 a.m., August leaves. He goes back to Rooksgrave because Rooksgrave has underground caverns for him to sleep in. Eamon offers him a place to sleep there, but it's not it's not safe there. Okay. Because there's no place for him to stay underground. Hmm. So he goes back. They sort of loll around and have a fine day and whatever, but Esther misses August very badly, so she asks to go back, and they're like, yep, absolutely. So they all pile back in the carriage, and they go back, and they see that Rook's grave is on fire. You know, I was just about to say I love how supportive they all are, <laughs> and then you said that Rook's grave was on fire. I know, and it is sweet that they're so supportive, and they're finding their way in this relationship that's very... um unusual oh yeah but it's pretty uh, unconventional yeah even. it's an unconventional relationship for sure yeah. five five two six dudes and one lady i i could that seems like so much work seriously doesn't it it seems like so much work i i i, I cross my legs sometimes just thinking about how much esther has to do i mean think think about how often i push up on you i'm one guy and i push up on you all day every day yeah now, mul- multiply that. Yep. And no, God. Oh, my God. They actually do say at one point like that, that they sort of negotiate and schedule their time with her. Otherwise, it would be constant. Oh, man. And if it was five, if it was five of you pushing up on me every day, I would leave. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, fair. Like, oh, my God, that's so much. That's I'd, so much. I don't want to see that. I would. I know. I, I, I'm kidding. I actually would love to see like the Outlook calendar. Like, what does that yeah, look seriously, like? Seriously, what does the calendar look like? Everybody has their own corresponding color. Trying to schedule. Like, what do you mean there's a yep. conflict? Yep. Well, August and Jonathan are go- both going to be here because uh, they're good friends. Eamon already has the room booked. God damn it! <laughs> Booker goes with her everywhere, so there's always yeah. just a gray line through every single day because Booker never leaves. Fuck it. We're doing it virtual. <laughs> this could have been an email. This could have been an email. This bone sesh could have been an email. <laughs> you could have just written me a dirty email and I could have exactly. diddled. Exactly. So they go back to the house. And the house is on fire. Yeah. Um, oh, it's still on fire. It's still on fire. I'm sorry. The house is on fire. <laughs> Everyone's out on the lawn, um, except for the vampires, because it's daytime. And they and they can't come outside. during the, They are in, in what's called day sleep. They make mm. it seem like it's um, an involuntary sleeping situation. So um, Esther's freaking out. She wants to go in, but they won't let her because she can't run into fire. Well, no. Um, but Mr. Tanner and Booker sure can because neither one of them was... is killable. So they go inside. 
Um, Esther tries to call them back. She eventually gets a hold on her actual like like magical tether that mm-hmm. she has to book her and she pulls him back out. But when he comes out, he is carrying the body of Cassie. She has died oh. in the tunnels trying to get to her vampire whose name was George. She is the only casualty. It's very sad. But some of the men... Uh, the vampires and some of the other night dwellers are lost under the house. They can't get to them because the cavern underneath the house has collapsed. It's uh, very, very sad. But they all agree that they can't stay there because the looky-loos are going to come. Everybody in town is going to come. And yeah. all of these people are not all human people. And they can't be seen. So they go back to Eamon's house. Hooray! There's a reason Eamon's house is fucking gigantic. <laughs> Foreshadowing! Yay! Um, so they go back to Eamon's house. Eamon welcomes them all. And all of his pixie um, servants uh, are just glad to have people to wait on. Esther is in mourning. She is freaking out. August is nowhere to be found because they can't get to the caverns. So she decides to throw herself completely into the only other thing that she has ever really learned how to do, and she takes care of everybody. Nah. She asks the pixies what needs to be done. They tell her, and she does it, and that's how she kind of gets through the day. Um, Mr. Tanner and Ezra go back to the house. They try to find a way in. They can't, but, they, but the fire is out now, and they're going to go back the next day, and they're going to try and find a way in. Uh, Esther ag- agrees, but only if she's allowed to go with them. Okay. So she goes back. They sort of wander the house. It's very sad. She talks to some of the other girls about whether or not they're going to stay. Some of them want to stay because Rook's Grave is a place where they feel safe and the only real home they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And some of them are going to leave because it's not safe there anymore and Mm -hmm. their gentlemen have offered to take them away. Esther hasn't decided what she's going to do yet. All she knows is that she needs to find August. If she can't find August, it doesn't matter what happens. Right. Eventually, she convinces a minotaur. Ah, there's the minotaur. Yeah, a very nice man who's uh, a client of a girl named Sally Mm. to take her down into the tunnels to help try to search for August. They get down there. She hears August calling for her, and she just books it. Mm -hmm. She just bolts away from, I want to say the minotaur's name is Lucian. No, no, it was something else that was like a star because everybody calls her a star mm-hmm. she's esther um so they they have a they have a nice little conversation about how they're both stars it's kind of cute um but esther hears august calling for her she just bolts and runs down a corridor around a corner around another corner she's lost the minotaur she is deep in the tunnels underground rook's grave and she finds august and he is staked to a big tree hmm. and bersha is sitting there waiting for her because he has laid this trap specifically for her. She is the only one who has ever gotten away from him, and he is mad about it. What a fucking I know. I know. He's just an ass. He's an absolute ass. He's like 2,000 years old or some nonsense, and all he wants is just to make people suffer. Take the hint. Yeah, right? And he goes on. He does like a supervillain rant. Lame. Because of course he does, because yeah. he loves the sound of his own voice. I am going to assume he's not a white man because he's from the Middle East, but he certainly sounds like a white man from the way he talks. He's got big white man energy. He's got big white man energy, and he basically tells her that he is going to like he wants to uh, he wants to rape her. He he specifically wants it to be unpleasant for her. <laughs> I want you to not like. This. He wants to break her spirit. 
he wants to kill her and he thinks the best way to start is to cut the heart out of august and eat it he's got a heart on a plate yeah he's got a knife and a fork he's eating a heart it's not august's heart it's somebody else's heart at this point but it's a vampiric heart and they at the end of the book theorize that that's how he is now immortal he eats Mm. vampire hearts fucking gross dude (laughs) fucking gross he cuts them out of them while they're sleeping and Mm. eats them it's it's awful, right? It's absolutely awful. But he's like not it. a nice person. Well, he's no. the bad guy. It is now um, now as far as bad guy behaviors go. Oh, it's peak bad guy behavior. Yeah. It's all just like heart eating and rape. Peak bad guy behavior. Yeah. He's an awful, awful human being. And uh she essentially what she tries to do to buy herself more time is she tries to seduce him. She tries to convince him to take her to one of his houses because she because of her proclivities mm. won't won't the monsters at his house's delight in trying to break her all right and she buys enough time that eventually she pisses him off just enough that he pulls her directly into his face and when that happens and he is distracted an invisible hand puts a knife in her hand and and gives her the strength to stab bersha in the fucking heart Ooh, directly satisfying. in the heart and then they twist there's really nobody better yeah. than Ezra. There's nobody better than Ezra. <laughs> God bless Ezra McKenna and God bless that joke. I've been waiting <laughs> from the moment you said there was a character named Ezra. I was like, I'm getting in a, a better than Ezra joke. Oh my joke. God. Good for you. Good for you. Um, so, so yeah. So a uh, little sippy sip here. Yeah. Take a sip while I stare down our cats and make sure they don't do any bullshit cat shit. Yeah. So uh, Bersha is immortal. He's not actually dead. He's just got a big <clears throat> knife sticking out of his heart. And what does he do? He starts talking more white man bullshit. He just opens his mouth again. And what does Esther do? Because she's so sick of hearing him talk. She pulls the knife out of his chest and stabs it directly into his throat. Good for her. God bless. I was so proud. She's just saying what we're thinking. She's just exactly. Everybody's just going, why hasn't anybody stabbed that guy in the throat yet? You know what that guy needs? A knife in the throat. Exactly. But unfortunately, he is still magic and he disappears. He... (sighs) Just fades out. God, do we hate They Bersha. can't catch him. He's gone. But uh, August is safe. They get him down from the tree. She feeds him so that he can heal. We're all good. Everything's fine. And hooray. We have we have saved the day and we have saved August. They all go back to Eamon's house. They clean up and they talk to Magdalena. And Eamon brings a new guest, his sister, and his sister is also a sphinx. She agrees to um, help protect Rook's grave so that this never happens again. Because the one thing that Bersha knows not to do is fuck with a sphinx. Okay. Um, and why is that? Because of how powerful they are. Okay. Uh, they are essentially immortal and they have uh, the power of the sun. Okay. They are very, very strong. Uh, they have so much power, in fact, that Aemon on seeing August is alive after they thought he was dead, offers him a gift that no one else can ever give him. He gives him the ability to walk in the light again. Oh, wow. Which is very nice. And I That's think- so thoughtful. It is. And I think and I think ultimately it's a sort of um, uh, proof that Eamon has changed his ways. Mm. He's not a jealous asshole anymore. He yeah. just wants everybody who, everybody that Esther loves needs to be safe. Yeah. But, so, but then, but he's completely ruined birthdays. You know, like what do you, what do you, what do we yeah. get? What, what do we, we get? get August? August, nothing. Eamon already gave him the gift of eternal life in the sun. Jesus Asshole. Christ, great! What a jerk! <laughs> what did he get? August, he August is a daywalker now. <laughs> 
so that is essentially the conclusion of this book they all they're all very happy to be back together again they just they have to decide what they're going to do next and Amon suggests they go to egypt Okay. Because it's not that far from where historically where Gamora was. Yeah. And if they're going to find any information on Bersha, that's where they're going to find it. The only reason he has survived for this long is because he's elusive. Mm-hmm. But if they can find information on him, maybe they can catch him. They're going to become basically full-time Bersha hunters. That's awesome. Right? And just just for breaks for fucking. Yeah, just breaks for fucking and like whatever other fun things they want to do. And Esther's going to get to travel the way she always wanted to. And it's going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. I really wish that we as Americans weren't so prudish and uptight about sex because that is the HBO series that I Oh my I, God, I would I love. I would love to see the, a Lady of Rick's Grave Manor and In the Company of Thieves. Yeah turned into like a nice long mega series of but, some yeah, kind. But I don't want it like watered down. Oh no. I want, I want it, porn. I want weird dicks. I want weird jizz. Yeah. I want I want all of it, but I want it with HBO production values. Exactly. That's what I want. Yeah. I would watch I the, want big names. Yeah. I want big names. I want I want Eamon to be played by like there you go. Let's cast it. Let's oh, let's, yeah. let's let's wrap oh, this up by okay. cat. We'll, 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 well, that's so how we'll wrap. To, to, to wrap up the story, Magdalena gives uh, gives Esther a set of tarot cards and tells her to um, keep an eye on them. They will tell her what to do essentially. And uh, a year later, Esther reads the cards uh, to find that something big is coming. It is a letter from the Company of Thieves. They're having to pro- they're having problems with Bersha and they need their help. Mm. And Esther, these are fiends. Sorry, sorry. Company of fiends. Okay, so my you, bad. No, it's okay. You said it, I just want to make sure we weren't talking about something no, different. It's, it's a letter from the company of fiends. They're having problems. They need help. So they're like, yeah, hell yeah, let's go. Let's do this. Saddle up. And then Esther talks with August about uh, ways to become immortal. Because Ooh. the ultimate ultimate goal, man, eternal love, never ending, eternal boning, eternal boning. All right, quick, and, quick, cast it. Who's Cast playing it. Esther? Oh God, who's playing Esther? Uh, Allison Brie. Ooh, good one. Who's playing August? Oh, Justin Thoreau. Ooh, good one. Thanks. I like that. Uh, here, let's do it in reverse. Who's Pedro Pascal playing? <laughs> <laughs> um, there isn't really a role for Pedro Pascal in this. Bullshit. There's a role for Pedro Pascal in everything. Uh, you know what? He can be. Um, he can be the visiting incubus from France. Perfect. I love it. So what are we, we got to get uh, a- Eamon. Eamon. Oh, um, you know, when I was picturing Eamon, I was kind of picturing um, Chadwick Boseman. Okay. Um, or um, maybe Idris Elba. Mm, good ones. Good ones. How about, uh, did we do Ezra? No, we didn't do no, Ezra. No, we didn't do Ezra. How about Ezra? Oh, God. Um, hot redheads. Mm, I guess, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is uh what's oh no you know what uh it's tom hardy tom hardy with a hair like hair dye tom okay it's tom hardy with hair dye yep okay or I, I guess he could just he could just what's his name um who's the australian guy from uh captain boomerang who's captain boomerang oh that guy yeah j j j jace something but that guy yeah that guy okay go 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 look from the suicide squad captain yeah. boomerang or that the boomerang guy uh, jai courtney jai courtney j jai yeah there we go um who are we missing um, Do- Jonathan, Tur- uh, Jonathan Dr. Underwood. Dr. Underwood, Matt Smith, Matt Smith. That's a good one. Matt Smith would be great. 
Matt Smith would be great in that role. I just I saw our autograph picture of Matt Smith. Oh, up we do. There. <laughs> yeah, we have that on the wall. So that's is that everybody? I I, I don't know. That's uh, I, I, it. Would have been funny if I looked slightly to the left and said, "Uh, Godzilla." <laughs> yeah. Who's playing Doctor Underwood? Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> so we have Esther, Allison Brie. Yep. In order of appearance, uh, Doctor Underwood is Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Um, Booker. Booker. I don't even know who would be Booker. Oh, that's a tough one. You know what? We got we got to throw the younger generation a bone here. Let's let's just go with it, it'll be CGI, but we'll voice him with Timothy Chalamet. Oh, you know what? That would actually be really great. There you go. I think Timothy Chalamet would make an excellent Booker. I do. There you go. Because he's kind of sweet. Um, You're welcome. Okay. Um, so that's then we need Ezra. That's Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney. Amon is. Um, you said Idris, Idris Elba. Elba. Let's go with Idris or, Elba. Yeah, or, or Chadwick Boseman, or Chadwick Boseman, Ray, Bo- rest, rest in, in peace. peace. And um, Booker Timothy Chalamet, voice of Timothy Chalamet. Bo- yes, voice of Timothy Chalamet. Magdalena. And, oh, uh, Magdalena. Olivia Coleman. I pictured her younger than Olivia Coleman. Okay. But uh, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt would be great. Actually, there you go. Emily Blunt would be fantastic. Mary. <sighs> Lucy Punch. Nice. All right, so I think that's... Uh, I think that's all of them. Did we get all of the men? Let's, yeah. Let's just say that we did. Yeah. That was fun. That was great. I love doing dream casting. That's it's, my. That's that's the best. I, I won't do it every episode, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll do it on a few. It was the, It's the first episode I had to do it. And yeah. by the way, this was as fun as I hoped it would be. Oh, good. I had a good time too, but I'm sweating. I'm, I was so nervous that I was going to miss something. Like, it, I don't think it really matters. I'm just telling you a story. If I miss something, if you think I missed something, go buy the book. Exactly. Read it yourself. Exactly. That's the whole point of this. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that is the uh, that is the conclusion of, mm-hmm. of, of our first episode of Cheap Smut. And I'm looking at the time, I, and I know with some trims and some edits and everything, I'm going to go ahead and call this a, a, a just a, a very robust one episode yeah but the next one will definitely be a two-parter yes yes the next one will definitely be a two-parter i did not want to do two books by the same author in a row but um considering the circumstances that are requiring the two-parter i want to be able to discuss a book that i know really well that is also really long so we are going to be doing baby and the midnight howlers also by Catherine moon Baby in the Midnight Hollers by Catherine Moon. And, and the, the circumstances are just, we're going on vacation. Yeah, we're going on vacation. <laughs> we're, we're I'm sorry. On, we're going on a vacation, our, our first family vacation since pre-COVID. Yeah. So yeah. So that's so that's why we're doing that. We're going to sit down. We're, we're going to record one episode, uh, but our normal record and release would overlap with that. I'm still going to release the episode while we're the, the, basically the before we go to the airport that day um or if i can get it to set up before that but anyway you you don't need to know that uh but yeah we're going on a vacay so that's going to be great so uh yeah thank you so much for for the, for sticking around i i hope that you all enjoyed this very much and uh what was the again say that one more time the next book baby and the midnight howlers baby and the midnight howlers by, by Catherine moon. moon book one of the sweet verse there are eight books in that series, I think. I just bought the most recent one. Uh, they're great. I really enjoy them. And you, my love, are going to be learning all about Alpha, Beta, Omega Dynamics. Oh, ABO Dynamics. Because we're diving <clears throat> into the world of alpha romances. And this shit is, it's almost as wild as Rick's Grave was. It's not quite as wild, but Catherine Moon writes a good, as they would call it in the uh, internet parlance, spicy scene. Catherine Moon writes great spicy scenes. I look forward to it.
And remember, if there is a book in you, write it. And if there's fucking in it, I'll read it. And then when she's done reading it, she will come on this podcast and explain it to me for your entertainment. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great night. I hope you do as well. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at CheapSmut. Uh, we are also on Twitter as well, also at CheapSmut. And a website coming soon, courtesy of Smutco Industries. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.